Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, everyone, uh, in person and at home. Uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles with you or accessible, uh, I encourage you to take a look at Ephesians uh, chapter 3. So we are, we are in week 4 of a sermon series that we're doing on the church because we felt like this was a perfect time for us to explore the nature and work of the church since most of the ways that we are experiencing church right now are very different. Uh, in, uh, in America, at least, our, our uh, normal involvement in the church is not usually doing baptisms in parking lots like we did, like we did this morning, uh, or, or online in the way that many of us are engaged in right now, or separated and with masks on. And what is, what is, uh, what is our normal experience of the gathered church is, is challenged right now. And so we said, this would be a great time for us to say, if the, if the outward expression of the church church is, has changed right now in this season that we're in, what has not changed? What is, the, what is the nature, function, makeup of the church that is unchanging? Uh, and, uh, and so we want to dig into the scripture to be able to pull out this, uh, this understanding, a deeper understanding of what the church is. So we've been working through the book of Ephesians because the guy who wrote it is Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing to this church in the city of Ephesus. And he is, they're, they're one of the first churches ever. And so they're learning how to be the church. And so he is teaching them about the gospel and what the church is about. And so we are listening in on that conversation to be able to learn what we should be as the church as well. So we are in uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start down at verse 7. So here we go. Verse 7. Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So for the first two chapters of Ephesians, Paul has been talking a lot about the gospel. That means the word means good news, and it's the basis of Christianity, the understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And in these particular chapters, because of who he's writing to, he has been framing the gospel and explaining the good news with using uh, the language of reconciliation quite a bit, um, specifically between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And so what that means is that the Jewish people were the people, were God's chosen people who he made promises to of salvation and protection and presence and blessing, uh, and that these were the the chosen people of God. And then out of Israel, out of the Jewish people, came Jesus Christ himself. Um, and that through the work of Jesus, that all of those promises of, of, of protection and blessing and salvation and forgiveness and all of those sort of things are opened up beyond just one small ethnic group and into the entire world. That's what the Gentiles are. Uh, that means the nations, everybody else, right? And so Paul has been talking about how there's been this reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, uh, and that the people of God are no longer an ethnic distinction, but rather, um, but rather the people of God who are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ are his people, and that is the church, okay? And so now he's starting to get into the function a little bit of what this newly reconciled group of people are to do and be about. So he says in verse 8, 
To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So this is, this is thick stuff here. I mean, what is, what is Paul talking about? Let's, let's break this down just a little bit. So he's saying that he has a message that his, he has been given, uh, a message from, from God himself, that Jesus himself appeared to Paul and explained to him some of the things that are going on. You can read about this in the book of Acts. It happened on the road to Damascus um, where Jesus himself appeared to, to Paul. And he says, the message that I'm bringing, what I'm trying to teach you, what I'm trying to help you to see, <clears throat> excuse me, can be broken down really into three parts. The first thing that Paul says is, the first part of his message is what Christ has accomplished. So if you look at verse 8, it says, this grace has been given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so he explains this a little bit farther. If you hop down to verse 11, he says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So these unsearchable riches of Christ is the grace, the, the initiative of God to forgive us as sinners, to forgive us who are far away from him, to forgive us all the things that we have done wrong and the things that we didn't do that we should have done uh, and the, the sin nature that is within us and remove the shame from us and the heartache from us and to bring us to a place of, uh, of joy and relationship with God, that we can come before the holy, righteous, pure, beautiful God of the universe, the creator of all things. We can come before him with boldness and confidence because of what Christ has done for us in removing our sin and shame and replacing it with the righteousness of God. And Paul says, this is, these riches are unsearchable. This is just such an amazing truth of, of how God has restored us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. So the first part of Paul's message is, is we're going to refer to it using the term salvation. So the unsearchable riches of Christ, the gospel of salvation, which means wholeness and completeness and fullness. But, then he, but that's not the only part of his message. It doesn't stop there. He adds, he adds more to that as well, that there's the, the work of Christ and the accomplishments of Christ. But then he says in verse 9, in verse 8, I'm going to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So he's saying, not only is there this amazing truth of what Jesus has done, but also that there's a context to what Jesus has done that is a part of the great plan of God. It means that, that God has actually been in charge of history the whole time. That this idea of Jesus coming, of God becoming one of us, um, was not just a spur-of-the-moment decision. Like, it wasn't just a Wednesday morning when God has his staff meeting with the archangels, and he's up in heaven, and he's like, what do we do about this sin problem? I just, I'm really caught off guard by this. I'm not really sure what to do. And so he's like, 
I've got it. Here's what we're going to do. Michael, Gabriel, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to become one of them and, uh, and then bear their sins for them on the cross. And then they're going to put me in a tomb. And then three days later, I'm going to, I'm going to be resurrected, thus defeating death. And then I'm going to spend some time with them. Uh, and then I'm going to ascend back into heaven. And, ooh, and then I'll send the Holy Spirit to them as well afterwards. And I'll promise to come back. How does that sound? And Michael and, and Gabriel are like, that. That sounds good. I vote yes. Let's do that. It wasn't just a spur of the moment decision that God became to to be one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, but rather that this was a plan from the beginning of time, that God has been in charge throughout all of history. And this this is great and amazing news because what it means is that God is sovereign, He's in charge. He is, uh, he, is, he is the ruler. He is that nothing has snuck up on him, that nothing has confused him, that nothing is beyond his control. And, and the reason that this is such great news is because Paul calls this the manifold wisdom of God. So in other words, God has a plan, and it's a good, wise plan for the flourishing of the world. And that we can see that plan coming to fruition with all of the story of Israel and the Jewish people, and then being revealed in amazing and astounding ways in the incarnation, the person of Jesus, um, and that he's about to bring in that the church is a part of this plan as well. So the good news of the gospel is not just Jesus died on the cross for your sins, so it's going to go well with you after you die. That, that is a, that's a deluded gospel um, that is not the fullness of the teaching of Scripture that says that God has not only created all things, but when we fell into sin and become subject to evil and death, that God in his mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, that he has a redemptive plan that has been working itself out through history and will continue into the future as well. So the first part of Paul's message is salvation. The second part of Paul's message is sovereignty, God's plan. And then he says, he says this. He starts using this word mystery a lot. Like you can see it in, uh, in, in verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for God in ages, uh, for in, in, uh, hidden for ages in God who created all things. This idea of mystery or the, the ancient and deep questions that everyone have been, has been asking. What is life all about? What are we here for? What is God doing? How will it end? How do we fix all this is broken? Does, does my suffering have any meaning? Does, does tragedy have purpose? Who's in charge of all of this? And that the mystery of all of that is being revealed. And in the person of Jesus Christ, that the plan has come clear and been made, uh, made, uh, uh, made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. So he says that there is this, this trajectory of history and that now the church has a role in showing this salvation and this sovereignty, the person of Christ and the plan of God. Look what he says in, uh, in verse 8, 9, 10. So I've been given this grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, salvation, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, 
sovereignty. And now he says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So you have, you have Christ and what Christ has done in the context of this great plan of redemption. And now the people that have been brought together through the salvation that Christ has brought through faith in him, that they have a purpose that's a part of this plan. The church has a purpose that is a part of this redemptive plan to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God. So, This is our message, and this is our reality as the church, that we live as people who are redeemed and forgiven. Um, We live with the perspective of God being in charge and that there's a plan happening, that that God has, has shown how faithful he has been for thousands of years, and that he's given us a glimpse into the future that he will return to make all things new. And so based on all of his faithfulness in the past, we should feel very confident that he is going to do the same thing in the future and be faithful and return according to his word to make all things new. Then now in the meantime, the church is here to be able to proclaim the manifold witness of God, to proclaim the salvation of Christ and to, play, to, to proclaim the sovereignty of God. Now, this is not just a big theological concept that we're learning and going, okay, that, that's neat. Salvation, sovereignty, church. Okay, I get it. Paul, Paul is saying that this message, this is a new reality. This is a new way of thinking that when we become Christians and we, we repent and believe and be baptized, we are brought into a new family by the salvation of Christ that he gives us through grace and uh, by grace and through faith. Um, and that, that we are brought into this new family that then has, has a new way of seeing the world and a new way of acting and living and, and, and understanding. He says, after laying all of this out to the Ephesians, he starts to bring this home to show how this reality should affect our ways of thinking and acting and being. Because you see, Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. And so... Uh, the Ephesians loved Paul. He planted the church there. He started that church. Many had come to know Christ through him, uh, and, uh, and they, they looked up to him as a father and authority figure, and they loved Paul. And now Paul's in prison, possibly awaiting execution. And so you can understand that they are concerned and that they're grieving. And Paul says in verse 13, after laying out this salvation and sovereignty and the role of the church, he says in verse 13, so I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He says, the first word of that sentence is, so. In other words, because of all this stuff that I just said, don't lose heart. In other words, because of the salvation that Christ has brought and the sovereignty of God, it affects how we understand our current reality. And even though I am in chains and in prison and may be executed, do not lose heart. Because of the truth of the the salvation and sovereignty of God, the church thinks differently, behaves differently, lives differently. There's There's a today impact on us as the church and an impact that we should have on the world because of this salvation and this sovereign plan.
So let, let me just quickly, as we, as we move to the, to the end of, of this time together, talk about a couple of, of, of a few implications for us. When we get this theological construct of, of God's sovereign plan and the salvation that Christ has brought and the, and the role of the church, what are some ways that that works itself out here? Just like the Ephesians needed to not be, uh, not lose heart and continue to do the work that they've been called to do. What about us? here in Greensboro, North Carolina, in the year 2020? What are some implications of this truth? First is this. First implication is invitation. That there's an invitation for you, no matter where you are in this spectrum of understanding and believing and acting. Um, if, if, uh, If you are at a place where you are exploring the claims of Christ and whether his words are true, there's an invitation for you to repent and believe and be baptized. Just in this morning's service, in the earlier service, we had a fantastic time of baptism that you will see a little clip of on, on video here in just a little bit so that you can be a part of that as well, of, of people entering into the people of God. And that invitation is there for you to, to be forgiven, for your sin to be removed, for your shame to be removed, for you to be made into a new creation in Christ, full of righteousness and joy. There's an invitation into the church through baptism, and there's an invitation when you are in the church into the work of living into the plan and sovereignty of God. I think the second implication of what Paul is saying here is hope. It's hope that, that there's a plan that, this is, that everything is not spinning out of control. Uh, and if there's a time that we need to hear about the hope of God that we find as believers in Christ, it's this year. That if this is true, if God truly is sovereign, and he does have a plan for the redemption of the world, if this is true, and we believe that it is, as we have, have seen it revealed in Christ Jesus and his death and resurrection, if that is true, then there is nothing that can shake the hope that we have for the glorious future that awaits this world. There's no pandemic that can steal that from us. There is no election season that can steal that from us. There is no economic turndown that can steal that from us. Because our hope is in something greater. It's in something greater than a pandemic, something greater than politics, something greater than the economy. These things that are bringing us to our knees in fear and anxiety, we need to see the narrative as being God's narrative and God being in control. And that none of these things that seem like they could shake us to their core could ever stand against the sovereignty of God who created all things and who is now at work in the process of redemption. So friends, we can have hope. And when you have hope that God is in charge, and then you have, you have an understanding that of his love, that not only is he in charge, but that he is good, and that he is wise, and that he wants what's best for you, and he wants the flourishing of the world, and he's in charge, that hope coupled with love casts out all fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Anything that could ravage our bodies or our, our savings accounts or our work or our country or anything else, those things that would cause us fear quiver and fear themselves at the righteousness of God. We can have 
hope. And we do not have to be afraid. We can approach the throne of God himself with boldness and confidence. What have we to be afraid of? And so friends, as the church, let's live into hope. Let's not be brought down by this year. Let's not be brought down by the situations that we find ourselves in, but rather let us be able to go out into the world that is broken and afraid and tell them that there is a place to be able to find great confidence, and that is in the sovereign God of all of history who has, who has the trajectory of history moving to a place of redemption and wholeness, and one day he will return to make all things new. It's hope. That's our story. That's the church. And let us be the church in these days. Don't cower and be afraid. Let us step boldly out with the message of Christ proclaiming the manifold witness and the manifold wisdom of God. Lastly, I'll say this. I think the last implication for us here is action. This is not just a mental exercise that we're doing, that our faith is not just, is not just something that is uh, sentimental either. It's not just emotion or inspiring or making us feel positive vibes. There's an action aspect to our faith that Paul has said here, look, Christ has done these amazing things as a part of this great sovereign plan, salvation, sovereignty, and now the church is to, to go proclaim, is to go, to go show that God is actually wise. And if there are people that should know about this wisdom, it should be his people. And so the church should be, should be engaged in action out in the world that mirrors the redemptive work of God. And so we should be leading in areas of healing and reform and love and generosity and charity in our day today, with, with the hot-button issues that we have today, we should be able to show a radical empathy during a time when everyone is villainizing everyone else. We should be leading the charge in empathy. In, in moments of, of, of racial tension and reconciliation, the church should be stepping into that to lead. If there's anybody that should know about racial reconciliation, it should be the church who its very story says there were Jews and there were Gentiles and Jesus broke down the wall of hostility and there's a new reconciled body that are now the people of God. And if that can happen between the chosen people of God of, of Israel and the rest of the world, then shouldn't the church be the primary witness to come out and say, we can be a part of reconciling where there is brokenness. We are the church. This is the gospel. And we can bring healing. Where There are those who are hungry, who are in need, who can't feed themselves. Well, we know what it's like to be in a place where we can't help ourselves and that God took initiative to come and heal us and bring us to him by grace through faith. And so when someone is in need, we feed them just as God has fed us. And the church should be leading this. Why? Because of the salvation of Jesus and our recognition that we are a great part of a sovereign plan. We want to show that God is manifold wisdom by showing his redemption in the world. 
We need to be a part of generosity and political reform. We need to be a part of hospitals and physical health, schools and education, the arts and beauty, neighborhoods, workplaces, communities should be affected by the presence of the people of God who say, let me bring you an unshakable truth that brings with it an unshakable hope. And it's a different narrative and a different story that you are living by now where things are not out of control and they're not crashing and burning, but instead that the good God who created all things is still in charge and there's a trajectory that is headed towards wholeness and you can know it and be a part of it now friends this is what we're called to as the church to know the salvation of Christ to know and be a part of the sovereignty of God and to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God in every sphere of this earth That's our call, church. May we live into it through the help of the Holy Spirit, and may we do it together as a family. Pray with me. Lord, enliven our hearts with the truth of your salvation. Cut us to the heart with the the unsearchable riches of the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us removed from us our sin and shame and replaced it with, um, with sonship, with righteousness, with holiness, with joy. Let us, let, us be, let us be shaken to the core by that glorious truth. And let us, be, let us have boldness and confidence in your sovereignty, that you are good and powerful and in charge. Lord, let us, let us have faith that you are leading us to a place of redemption in this world. And let us remember that we have a part to play in it as we proclaim your goodness and your sovereignty. Lord, build up your church. Raise your church up. Let us be more than spectators. Let us be more than consumers. Let us be people who are radically changed by your gospel and go out to proclaim your manifold wisdom into a broken and dark world. Raise up your church, Lord. Do mighty things. And we pray that you would let that happen here at Church of the Redeemer. In your name, amen.